you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. Having returned after eight chapters on the surrounding nations to the people of Israel, Ezekiel and his listeners, his readers, are reminded of the significance, the reality of personal responsibility. Specifically, we saw last week uh, the, the watchman or the prophet and the listener were righteous or wicked. Some argued that God is unjust, that he does not allow for some failing in a righteous person, that a person can live a righteous life and then they go off track and they're like, God should in fact allow for that. Or, interestingly enough, that he allowed forgiveness for someone who lived a wicked life but then turned away, turned to the truth. They're like, well, why does God forgive such people? The reality is they are the ones who are unjust, not God. We saw in verse number 11, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Then the word comes, Jerusalem has fallen. Ezekiel's been saying it would fall for all these chapters, and now it finally has happened. The chapter then ends with these verses. If you look at chapter 33, beginning at verse 30, as for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. When all this comes true, and it surely will, then they will know that a prophet is among them. Lest Ezekiel be, I don't know, he might think, well, people are finally listening to me after all this time that people are taking heed to what I have to say, the Lord informs him that he's really just sort of, most people, a form of entertainment. They're going to listen, but they're not going to do what he says. However, the time will come when all this comes true, when they will know that Ezekiel, in fact, was a prophet. He was commissioned by God to be his mouthpiece. He's not an entertainer. As I mentioned last week, we're not sure what when all this comes true refers to, there appears to be a real sense of foreboding about it. Today we look at chapter 34, which is a critique, a condemnation of past leadership of Israel with the promise of a good leader in the future. The metaphors used are that of shepherds and sheep. Shepherds referring to the leaders and sheep referring to the people that they rule over or that they lead. By Ezekiel's time, these metaphors are well established, particularly that of shepherd for governing. Both Moses and David were referred to in Scripture as shepherds over Israel. In fact, what Gia read to us today from Psalm 78 refers to David precisely in that way. And it's interesting, it's not without significance, they were shepherds of sheep before they became leaders or shepherds over Israel. I think our distance culturally and temporally from the times of the Old Testament and more has caused us to appreciate certain things. First of all, the metaphor of sheep has really unflattering implications. But also, the metaphor of the shepherd has been romanticized. Without question, Psalm 23 
is a very popular song. Um, not only for what it says at the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd, but for the image that this statement conjures up. And I think modern literature has sort of led us down the garden path in this regard, in which we have a very romanticized view of what it means to be a shepherd. And going back to the 16th century, Edmund Spencer's The Shepherd's Calendar, um, William Shakespeare, The Winter's Tale, in which there are various characters, good characters, who are shepherds. Robert Burns, The Shepherd's Wife, William Wads uh, Wordsworth, has a series of poems about shepherds. And one would think, wow, this is the life, the pastoral life of being a shepherd. The reality is that being a shepherd was difficult work. Uh, there were periods of boredom and inactivity, but there was also danger of thieves, beast of prey. David fought and killed a lion as well as a bear with little more than a stick. They had a staff. They didn't have knives, guns to, to protect the sheep. They had to fight to protect them. They may have had dogs. In Job chapter 30, verse 1, it refers to sheep dogs. So it may be that they had some help. Jacob describes to his father-in-law, Laban, what it meant to be a shepherd. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flock. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment for me for whatever was stolen by day or night. So the possibility of them being eaten by wild animals or being stolen by thieves. And this was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. The job of being a shepherd was a difficult one, and it should not be romanticized. It brought with it heavy, heavy responsibilities which the leaders of Israel failed to carry out. And thus we hear the critique, the condemnation. Um, in the first oracle, we, ha we have the indictment and the verdict of past and present kings of Israel. We see similar material. We've seen this in chapters 19 and 21. But here the charge is self-interest and exploitation. Um, we may not know a lot about what it means to be a shepherd. We are given a picture here, though from a negative viewpoint, the duties of the shepherd. Look, if you would, at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled over them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains, and on every high hill they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. The duties of a shepherd include caring for the flock, strengthening the weak, healing the sick, binding up the injured, bringing back the strays, searching for those who have gone astray for the lost, making sure that they are not scattered and keeping them safe from wild animals. But the kings of Israel had failed to do this. They are guilty of 
gross dereliction of duty. Instead, they took care of themselves. Which, on some level, one might argue a shepherd has a right to do. After all, he is raising sheep. He needs the wool um, to sell or to make clothing for himself. And he may eat one or more of the sheep to feed himself and his family. Um, the slaughtering of choice animals, that's sort of questionable. It's like, I want the best instead of you know, taking them to market. The problem is, while taking care of themselves, they fail to take care of the sheep. They failed to take care of the people. The kings were put there by God. Okay. They were there to shepherd God's people, to guide them, and instead they were thinking about themselves. This becomes very clear when we look at verse number 8. Look at verses 7 and 8. Therefore hear you shepherds, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not seek out or search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. You notice how many times my shows up there four times, including my shepherds. That is, the kings of Israel were in fact in their position, put there by God. Verse 9. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. As one commentator put it, given the gregarious nature of this rather feckless animal, that is a sheep, a sheep without a shepherd is a sheep in big trouble. This is why sheep need a shepherd. A shepherd is needed. A shepherd who is selflessly dedicated to taking care of the sheep. Um, they have failed to do this. What we are told is that the sovereign Lord is against them. He who put them in charge of the sheep and secondly, he who is the owner of the sheep. Okay? The kings are not the owner of the people. They're not owners. They are put there by someone who is over them. What is the solution? Are the sheep without hope? No. Uh, listen to what follows. Verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring, them, and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. The flock of sheep 
people of God, God's people need a shepherd. And as the people he has put in charge, the kings have failed to do this, then the Lord in fact will take on the responsibility himself. He will take on the role of being the shepherd of his people. And among the duties that he will fulfill is he will search for my sheep, as he puts it, look after them, rescue them, bring them back from exile, pasture them, tend them in good pasture and have them lie down. By the way, you may have noticed this is where our promise of forgiveness came from today, this passage here in Ezekiel 34. The notion that the God of the Old Testament is this angry, unfeeling, uncaring deity, I think is destroyed by a passage like this, where God, in fact, cares deeply for his people and he will be their shepherd. Several things to note. In verse number 12, I will rescue them from the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. This points to judgment. The end of verse number 16 does at least two things. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. It gives one a sense that we shouldn't say shepherds bad, sheep good. We'll see in a few minutes that in fact we have some bad sheep as well, prepares us for what follows. Look at verse 17. By the way, let me just stop. If we had ended, if the chapter had ended at verse number 15, we would have come to the conclusion that in fact it's the leadership. It's the leadership's fault. It's the king's fault. If the kings had been better, then the people of Israel would not have gone astray. They would not have gone into idolatry. Not so. Verse 17. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. This may sound familiar to us. We have echoes of Matthew 25. We'll come to this in a bit. But things to note. First of all, judgment is not limited to the kings, the bad shepherds, okay? It, in fact, includes includes bad sheep. And what makes one a bad sheep? Well, apparently, the metaphor that is used is that you have, if you can imagine, some sheep, and they eat the good grass, and they're like, there's, there's more grass, but they're already full. But instead of allowing other sheep to, they go over there and trample it, making it more difficult for other sheep to eat. Okay? And then they come to a river or a creek, a brook, and it's clear water and they drink and it's like, but they notice that there are other sheep waiting in line and they get in there and muddy up the water so that those behind them, in fact, will not have clear water. Simply put, the bad sheep refuse to share with other sheep after feeding on good pasture and after drinking clear water. They leave only destruction in their path. Another description of bad sheep is the fat sheep in contrast to the lean sheep. 
And why are some lean? Why are some thin? Well, because the pasture has been trampled down and the water has been muddied. And it's more than that. See, it would be one thing, it would be bad, but if the sheep come in and they trample all the grass and then they muddy the water, but then when the sheep do in fact try to eat, do try to come in and to drink, they, they, they butt them over with their shoulder, with their flank, with their horns, they push them out of the way. So it's not only a sort of a, a passive, you know, I'll trample down the grass and muddy the water, but there's this active, no, I'm not going to let you eat or I'm not going to let you drink. What it is, is a refusal to share what in fact is not theirs. In reality, the pasture is not theirs. The clear water is not theirs. It is all a gift from God. An example of this happened before Ezekiel uh, got this oracle back in Jerusalem. This is in Jeremiah 34. It's a fascinating passage. The word of the Lord came to uh, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after, after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people of Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. So King Zedekiah said, "You know things are really bad. All slaves are free. Everyone was to free his Hebrew slaves, both male and female." No one was to hold a fellow Jew in bondage. So all the officials and people who entered into this covenant agreed they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them in bondage. They agreed and set them free. But afterward, they changed their minds and took back the slaves they had freed and enslaved them again. Doesn't work exactly the same, but to me this is trampling on the pasture and muddying the waters and butting other sheep rather than keeping their word and giving freedom to their fellow Jews, their fellow Hebrews, they in fact enslave them again. The fat sheep are taking the freedom of the lean sheep. I said earlier that this passage may sound familiar. The last public teaching of Jesus that is recorded in Matthew 25 speaks of this. Bear with me as I read this. This is Matthew 25, beginning in verse number 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goat on his, goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my, these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. 
They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. These are the last public words that Jesus spoke, according to Matthew's Gospel. Now, some might object that, in fact, the Ezekiel passage and the Matthew passage are unrelated because in Ezekiel it's talking about fat sheep and lean sheep, and in Matthew it's talking about sheep and goats. Um, And I would agree that the two passages aren't exactly about the same thing. But the principles involved, I think, are related. And you might think that I'm taking this a bit far, but bear with me. In both cases, there is sharing and not sharing. In Ezekiel 34, they refuse to share the pasture and the clear water, actively pushing other sheep away. In Matthew 25, there is active sharing and not sharing. Of food, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Of drink, and here we have the the Ezekiel connection of pasture and water, food and drink. Hospitality. Clothing, I needed clothes and you clothed me. Care, I was sick and you looked after me. And presence, I was in prison and you visited me. In both cases, the sharing is with fellow human beings, those who bear God's image. I mentioned in a blog several weeks ago in his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis wrote, there are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal Uh, The king in the parable says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The underlying principle in both is that all we have is a gift from God. The food we have, the drink we have, our clothing, our physical existence, our presence that we can share with others. It is all gift, and we should not imagine for a moment that it belongs only to us. If you think I have strayed a bit by trying to bring the New Testament back to the Old Testament, go back to Ezekiel 34, look at verses 23 and 24. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Wait, is God saying that David will be resurrected, that he will rule over Israel once again? No, it's pointing ahead to one of his descendants, one of the descendants of David, that is the Messiah. We'll see this more in a couple chapters, in chapter 34. Um, Let me just read to you some verses. Chapter 34, verse 24. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant David, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, Make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. I cannot help 
but be reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. He is the descendant of David. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And good here refers to the fact of being noble, of being worthy. But in his time, in the time of Jesus, to say I am a good shepherd was an oxymoron, combining seemingly contradictory expressions. Uh, People didn't think much of shepherds back in the time of Jesus. And we've seen this usually at Christmas time, how it is that the first announcements that are made about the birth of the Messiah are made to shepherds. Shepherds were not allowed to testify in Jewish court because they were viewed to be incapable of speaking the truth. Could never trust a shepherd. And now Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. If that weren't puzzling enough for Jesus' listeners, like, what? Good shepherd? There's no such thing. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, it could be true that a shepherd might risk his life uh, to protect the sheep from wild animals, but never do we talk about, I'm going to die to protect my sheep. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. Because if, in fact, the shepherd dies, the sheep are in bad trouble because now there's no one to protect them or to guide them. An intentional death would make no sense whatsoever, but in fact, this is what Jesus speaks of, and the fact that he would, in fact, lay down his life. Now, it's worth noting the difference that's pointed out between the good shepherd and the hireling. Someone is hired to take care of the sheep. The hireling does not own the sheep. The good shepherd does. And so God, back in Ezekiel 34, as being the shepherd of his people, makes absolute sense because they are his people. They are his sheep. Jesus said that I know my sheep and they know me. Unlike the hireling who runs away, Jesus, the good shepherd, sacrifices himself for the well-being of the sheep. By the way, this is somewhat similar in a different way. You know, when John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, what do you do with a lamb? Well, in the Jewish system, you kill the lamb as a sacrifice. So, you know, we usually, when we think of shepherds and we think of sheep and lambs, you know, get all fuzzy, you know, and all this. And in fact, we're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about laying down life. And Jesus, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he is going to lay down his life for his people. And why would he do this? Because he loves his people. He loves his sheep. Hireling, not my sheep. You know, I got hired for this job. I'm not going to risk my life. 
But Jesus, these are his sheep, and he loves them. He cares for them. He lays down his life as a purely voluntary act. I lay down my life of my own accord. No one takes it from me. And Jesus said, I have authority to lay it down and to take it up again. Back to Ezekiel 34, verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them in the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. By the way, there's a famous old hymn, Showers of Blessing, comes from this verse. The trees of the field will yield their fruit. The ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people, and I am your God declares the Sovereign Lord. God will make a covenant of peace with his people. He will, in fact, be their shepherd, and they will be his sheep. One of the things, I think, in these last verses that we need to be careful of is that uh, it's not to be taken literally. I mean, if we're talking about Israel as sheep, and then we're talking about the pastures and things like that. It's not something to be taken literally. But there is a real sense in which God would watch over Israel, over his people, and would provide for them. So what are we to make of this? Well, first of all, those who are in positions of leadership are responsible. And they should not imagine that they are in a position of leadership uh, because they got more votes or because of heredity, um, you know, that, you know, my dad was king, so I get to be king after him, uh, which was the case in Israel. Uh, but God, in fact, put them there, and he put them there, and he gave them responsibilities. They have things to do. They are responsible for the people. They're not there for themselves. They're there for the people. But the second thing, which I think is probably more pertinent to us, is we cannot blame leadership and hold them responsible for our failures. We can't say, oh, it's because we have a bad mayor, governor, president, whatever, senators, whoever's in a position above us. You know, I'd be a much better person if we had better leadership. Um, No, God will take care of the leadership. We, in fact, are to be obedient as individuals. And so I find it fascinating that, yes, you have bad shepherds, but apparently you also have bad sheep. It's not like leadership, bad, all the followers are good, that we are somehow innocent uh, sheep, and since we have had bad shepherds, then, um, yeah, we don't do the things we should. I've debated, I've gone back and forth whether or not to mention this, but several years ago on a, on a talk show, uh, one of the people on, on the panel said, um, it's hard to be a parent 
It's hard to be a parent. It's hard raising a kid. And Donald Trump is our president. I'm like, I'm actually not sure those two things are connected. Um, whether or not you like him as a president, whether or not you like the current president, I think God will deal with them. We have personal responsibility to be obedient ourselves, and we can't like, well, I was going to be a good person, uh, but, you know, just really bad leadership. And so, yeah. The third thing I would say is we like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And we like hearing Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. But I think we miss something really important. And that is that a shepherd tells the sheep what to do. Okay. We would prefer, we would limit it to God is our shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, okay? It makes me lie down in green pastures, in the, all of Psalm 23. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. He lays down his life. But we forget that being a shepherd means that he is in charge. He tells us where to go. He's like, okay, yesterday we were in this pasture, and today we're going to go over here. And if the sheep say, well, no, we actually would like prefer, no, no, the shepherd is in charge. I don't know that we think of God in those terms. I don't know that we think of the Lord Jesus in those terms. We like him to take care of us. We don't want him telling us what to do. And guess what? Being a shepherd means he tells us what to do. So when we hear the words, the Lord is my shepherd, or I am the good shepherd, we should in fact say, oh, he's the boss. And again, he in fact owns us. We are his. We're not our own. He's not there to make sure we have good grass and clean water and just leave us alone after that. He is the one who directs us and who guides us. I think the Jews had lost sight of this. They liked the benefits. Um, they didn't want to be told what to do. Some years ago, not that long, but it sort of faded into the background, there's a whole controversy about when a person comes to faith in Christ, some people were saying, you can accept him as your Savior, but not as your Lord. Um, so he'll save you, but he will not be the boss of you, so to speak. And there are others are like, no, that's not, no. Well, here it is. If he's your shepherd, yes, he will take care of you, okay? He will rescue you, but he will also tell you what to do. And so to both the kings who are bad shepherds and to those who are bad sheep, God says, listen, there are consequences, but I, I am your shepherd and I will make with you a covenant of peace. And as we read in chapter 37, I will be your God, you will be my people. This reinforces what we saw last week, the idea of personal responsibility. We cannot say, listen, I would have been a much better person um, if I just had better leadership. I think this is true not only in terms of politics, I think it's also true in church. It's also true in the home. We cannot say, listen, I wish I were a better person. Wish I would have done better, but you know, I just had really bad leadership. Um, 
Leadership is responsible. They will answer to God. Okay? But so is the individual. And we are called to a life of obedience. Let's pray together. Our Father, it seems that we try as hard as possible to wiggle out of personal responsibility. We like the notion that those in leadership will have to answer to you. Those that you have put in positions of leadership have been put there not for themselves, but to care for people, those made in your image. People you care deeply about. You take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You want leadership to take care of the people. But we as individuals, as persons, as people, cannot then say, well, it's all on them. Any mistakes I may have made, any bad decisions, it's because of bad leadership. Each of us is personally responsible. We thank you that we have not been left without a shepherd. We, in fact, do have a shepherd who cares for us, who laid down his life for us. He actually gave his life for us. Uh, Sometimes, like sheep, we're a bit stubborn. We don't always follow or obey. But he is our prince, our king, our shepherd. He is there not only to save us, but to direct us. How easily we lose sight of that. We'd rather have him save us and then leave us alone so that we can live our lives. We thank you for Jesus, the Good Shepherd. We thank you that you love us and have given us a shepherd one who was willing and in fact did lay down his life for us. May we carry these truths home with us and think on them in these coming days. We ask that you would guide each one of us through this week as we walk through this world. Pray for Tom and Ann as they travel You'd give them safety. For those that are sick and afflicted, you would touch them and raise them up. For those starting school, you would watch over them. We thank you for your love for us that you have demonstrated by sending Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.